All right. This morning, I uh, might have seen on Facebook, might not have, but I promoted this morning as uh, the church at a crossroads, a line in the sand. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Um, so we're going to talk about that this morning. But first, I'm going to talk about disruption and dilemma, the shrine of Molech and the star god Refan, the church at a crossroads and traffic lights, because it made sense to go in that order um, this morning as we unpack some things. Fun times. All right. You may or may not have noticed this, but it's very hard to have a global pandemic without some sort of serious disruption to the status quo. Uh, I would go as far as to say it's impossible to have a global pandemic without sort of some disruption to the status quo. So if that was what you were hoping for, if that was what you're wanting in the midst of a global pandemic, I just... I just I've thought about it for a day or two, and I've just come to the conclusion you can't have a global pandemic without some sort of disruption. Uh, Extremely difficult to keep life as normal. Uh, It's an incredibly complicated situation. There's layers of complexity. It's not like there's this complex thing that we have to deal with. There's layers of complexity that have to be navigated, sorted out. Uh, Every action in whatever direction you take, every action in whatever direction you take, ends up with some sort of reaction and consequence over there. Part of my doctorate was looking at fruit and consequence. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, the fruit of that was like, you are the son of God, you're the, you're the Messiah, you're the new Moses, you're the guy that brings, that was the fruit of that. The consequence of that was they were coming the next day for free bread and wanted Jesus to be the bread guy. So even Jesus like did something awesome and it's so very fruitful and then there's all these consequences like oh gosh now I've got to hop in a boat escape to the other side of the lake I'm not going to be the bad I'm not going to be the bread guy whatever choice we make in a global pandemic in that direction there's some consequences in other directions Um, decisions that at one moment seem incredibly wise can turn out to be quite foolish and then decisions in one moment that seem really foolish can turn out to be really wise and you don't know in the midst of the moment I remember adjusting our international travel last year for the sabbatical. Uh, on Tuesday, Lisa and I, in consultation with the travel agent, we made some very wise decisions on Tuesday in regards to adjusting our travel. By the time we got to Thursday, <laughs> they were real dumb decisions and that wasn't going to happen. So we, we re, re-sorted it all out. Ah, that's perfect. By the time we got to Monday, ha, isn't that silly? As if you can do that, you know, and, and as the... As you know, as the situation evolves, suddenly decisions that were bad look good, decisions that were good look bad, and it's just inherent to the situation. Uh, we're in a, in a we're in a context where we find values in conflict. I've put I've put some values. These aren't all of the values, but there's some values that find themselves in conflict. Values in conflict. A uh, situation where not all values can be valued equally. Not all values can be prioritised equally. Well, that's tricky. Uh, it's proving difficult for families to land at some sort of agreed upon kind of scenario, uh, let alone churches, uh, let alone a city, let alone a nation, or let alone like a global human response to this thing that we're all agreed on. We all think this is the best course of action. Uh, I've said to you before, I joke that each time there's the, the latest 1 pm update. I text a few people going, I bet she's not going to make the decision that keeps everyone happy. And then we wait, and then afterwards I go, see, she didn't make the decision that keeps everyone happy. Uh, I hope you realise that's tongue-in-cheek, because there is no decision that will keep everyone happy. It's just the reality of the situation we're in. Uh, So I think people would 
would recognize, I think we should all recognize that those values on the screen are all important. They're all important values, but man, it's hard to value them equally and figure out what's the most important. Uh, we're all over, play, all over the place in regards to that. If I gave you all a dart, aside from most of you missing that and hitting me, throw the dart at the thing that's of most value. That did just be all over the place. It'd be like, oh, well, we weren't able to come to a consensus, and we're only, you know, 100 people that have got free tickets to an event kind of thing, let alone the wider community. Um, so we're all over the place. There, there are people, of course, that hold on to one of those particular values as the most important value. Uh, I, I know smart and intelligent people who would consider one of those things to be the most important one. Well, the problem is if you know four intelligent people that each hold to a different one of them, you're like, well, that might be an indication there's no one right answer. There's just different perspectives, and it's kind of complicated. All in all, we're finding that it's very hard to have a non-disruptive, non-dilemma-inducing, non-intrusive global pandemic, which is very frustrating. I wasn't around for World War II. Um, but imagine being a couple of years into World War II. I've had enough! Wrap this up! It's like, well, you don't get to just make that choice. It's a little bit more complicated than that. And global pandemic is turning out to be a little bit like that. You, you can't get to the point where I've done my dash. Wrap it all up. It doesn't and get wrapped up like that. We just have to carry on. I think any kind of wilderness experience in life, like a global pandemic, is a place of disruption and dilemma and intrusion. Uh, the wilderness, exile, the desert, a storm, a crisis, however you want to kind of frame it up. Uh, there's, there's a loss of structure. There's a loss of reliability in a world that offers stability and, and a sense of place. And those, those things are gone, a sense of stability and coherence in life. I, there's a little arrow that says, you are here. Good luck. You know, any kind of wilderness experience is disorientating and intrusive and dilemma-inducing. Um, and, you know, we've got to try and figure out what to do. Because whenever you're in a situation like this, you find yourself looking for a solution. You find yourself, whenever you're in a wilderness or a storm or the desert or whatever, you find yourself looking for a solution. You find yourself looking for salvation. Which then, you know, raises the question, well, where do we look to for a solution for salvation? So let's dive into the book of Acts chapter 7. Uh, this is part of Stephen's sermon. Uh, his testimony before he ends up being stoned at the feet of Saul. Uh, he's telling the story of Israel. And he tells of Israel's experience in the wilderness. Acts chapter 7, 33 through to 34. Then the Lord said to him, the Lord said to Moses, Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. This is Moses that grew up in Egypt, that had run away from Egypt. Now he's been sent back to Egypt. Uh, so God sent him back, the same man his people had previously rejected, when they demanded, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Uh, through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses without, was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt, they told Aaron. 
Uh, They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us. For we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf. And they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heavens, the stars of the heavens as their gods. In the book of the prophet is written, was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, the star of your god Rephan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites are desperate for a solution. They're they're desperate for salvation. Because it's not, like I said, it's hard to have a non-disruptive, non-dilemma-inducive, non-intrusive kind of wilderness experience. Uh, Especially a 40-year wilderness experience. You find yourself looking for a solution, looking for some sort of salvation. If you realize you're like, you know, three years into a 40-year wilderness experience, you're like, what What maybe could we do to get out of this? Because this doesn't feel ideal. They've done their dash, and truthfully, they've done their dash really early. It wasn't like they got to like 27 years or 40 years. It was like, this is getting a bit tiring. They, they got to like day three and, and they'd basically done their dash of the whole wilderness experience. One of my favorite verses is in the Old Testament is that the ones that wanted to go back to Egypt because they longed for the cucumbers of Egypt. Isn't that awesome? They longed for the cucumbers of Egypt. Sometimes the Bible is just amazing. They longed for the cucumbers of Egypt, which if you're in the wilderness, like suddenly a cucumber back in Egypt seems like a that's a pretty good idea. I'd like a cucumber. So that's pretty awesome. You know, it's 99% water, but that doesn't matter. Guess they're thirsty. Some wanted to put their hope and trust in Moloch and others in the star god Rephan. Uh, Eugene Peterson likens Moloch to the war god and Rephan to a sex goddess. Violence and sexual encounter is some kind of pathway to freedom. And then with the imagery of the golden calf as well. God, a god literally crafted by the people and for the people. We'll make our own God and sacrifice to this God. And they collected all the jewelry that they'd collected on the way out of Egypt and they melt it down and then they make this kind of, kind of golden calf. Remember, I think remember Moses says, um, we threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf, which is like, I don't think that's true, Moses. I don't think you threw the gold in the fire and then out jumped this calf. I think you had a plan and you designed something and built it and put it together and that was going to be salvation. And they started sacrificing to Molech or to this golden calf or to this star god. To sacrifice is to give up something of value in the now in the hope for a better return in the future. That's what sacrifice is. Sacrifice is to give up something in the now in the hope of a better return in the future, a better experience in the future, or something of greater worth in the future. Uh, they had child sacrifice to Molech. There was burnt offerings Precious metals. These, these are these things that people are willing to sacrifice to these gods for hopefully a better future. Uh, very early on, they wanted to go back to, like I said, for the cucumbers of Egypt. They'd sacrifice their freedom in order to go back to the slavery of Egypt because somehow that would be, uh, that would be salvation from the desert or salvation from this wilderness experience. All of which, of course, is idolatry. To make these sacrifices to false gods in hope of a better future. These crazy, foolish Israelites. These crazy, foolish Israelites not keeping their eyes fixed on Yahweh. They're even willing to sacrifice their covenant relationship with God for the hope of salvation. 
So they're willing to, there's, there's children that are sacrificed to Molech, there's gold that's given, there's you know, meat that's cut up. They're even willing to sacrifice their covenant relationship with God in order to hopefully find salvation in the situation they find themselves in. Hoping to sort out salvation by some other means. Well, I'm not so sure that we're too different from the Israelites. Now, we're a little bit more sophisticated, but I think we're equally inclined to look beyond God for a solution to our situation, to look beyond God for salvation. Uh, we've all got our own favorite idols that we easily default to, each promising salvation. What's an idol? An idol essentially is just an aspect of the created world, a good, you know, good and proper things even, aspects of the created world, good and proper things even, that are elevated to a place where the created thing displaces the creator and becomes the thing that we look to for salvation. That's essentially what an idol is. Uh, talk about money as an idol. Money is a good and proper thing that's helpful and causes the economy to go around and to trade things and do things, but it's an aspect of creation. But it becomes an idol when it's elevated above the creator and displaces the creator as the thing that we see as our source of every solution and salvation to our problems. I think in the midst of a global pandemic, all of these different values that I've put up on the board uh, that I was highlighting highlighting before can easily become an idol. Uh, We don't set up a pile of rocks and burn an eyefill it in honor of health and safety, you know, or libertarianism or something. Nevertheless, we're willing to make sacrifices to whichever one is our favorite or our preferred or the one that we deem most likely to bring salvation or be the solution to our situation. We're willing to make sacrifices to each in the assumption that will ultimately lead us to fullness of life and salvation. Some want to sacrifice autonomy in honor of legislation. Deem legislation to be the source of salvation in the situation. Some want to sacrifice legislation on the altar of autonomy in order to find salvation. Deem salvation to be found in personal autonomy. Sacrifice the economy as a burnt offering to health and safety. Health and safety will save us. I think that's that saying of like, the economy is burning. Yeah, yeah, because we'll sacrifice it, we'll burn it in order to preserve health and safety. Sacrifice health and safety on the altar of the economy in order to see the economy and livelihoods carry on because that'll be our salvation and our source. That's a tricky situation we find ourselves in. It's intrusive and it's dilemma-inducing. Excuse the language, but there's a little kid's book. Well, not a kid's book. I don't know what the book was, but an uncle talking to his grandson says, do you know what a dilemma is? And the grandson says, like I said, excuse the language, but the grandson says, yeah, I know what a dilemma is. It's two shitty answers or two shitty solutions to the situation. It's like, yeah, that, that's a dilemma. That's a good definition of a dilemma. Find ourselves in a tricky situation. As well, it's a fine line between what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. It's not like to make a stand for one of those things is inappropriate. It could be very appropriate just a fine line between knowing when it's appropriate and knowing when it's become inappropriate knowing when it's the right thing to do or when it's actually evolved to become an idol or something that has displaced God in terms of what you're putting your faith and trust and hope to into well that that's a you know that's a subtle shift that takes place that's a that's, that can be a small shift that can be really tricky to kind of figure out 
Over the last 18 months, I've felt it within myself, an internal sense of kind of making idols out of that which shouldn't be idolized. How might I assess whether something's become an idol to me? You can use yourself if you want, but you don't have to. I'm just going to do it for me. How might I assess whether this has maybe become an idol for me, one of these things? Have I come to believe that the hope of the world is in a particular space up on the table? That that space will lead the world from darkness into light? Has that kind of thinking crept into my deeper spaces, the recesses of my heart? Are my affections drawn towards a particular value such that I find myself uh, excessively meditating on that scenario and that situation and that reality? Am I evangelizing on behalf of one of the realities in the situation? And I feel like I'd be lost if that reality was taken away from me. This is just, I'm not talking about you, I'm just talking about me. Am I evangelizing on behalf of one of those realities? And I feel like I'd be lost if that one was taken away. The others, I can take the other ones, but if that one goes, ooh. But I feel like I am lost. Do I have a trailer load of sacrifices from the other quadrants that I'm willing to sacrifice in that particular quadrant? I'm ready to throw it on the altar of a particular value. Do the people that sit out at the other extremes, do they represent the opposition? Do they represent enemies to be defeated? Well, I think of... You can recognize, or I, I think if I can recognize in me some of those ideas bubbling up, I'm an evangelist for that one, and I'll sacrifice all these other ones for this one, and ooh, those are the people we've got to debate against and win that. Maybe I'm starting to idolize an aspect of the situation that is good and proper and appropriate, but I'm starting to elevate it in a way that it shouldn't be elevated. I've seen myself going down that path in different directions at times. Because the situation is complex, and in March, that's the really important one. But then by the time you get to June, you realize, oh no, that's the really important one. Which should be a reminder that these are just the complexities of the situation, not anything that should be idolized. Maybe you've seen it happening, obviously, in someone else's life. Maybe you're able to think of people on Facebook or in your world or in your family group chat or whatever it might be, that obviously are camped out at one of those spaces. They're obviously they're worshipping an idol at the moment. You can see that. I would suggest you don't text them that, but, but, but maybe, maybe obviously you know where they've landed. But maybe subtly you've landed in your own space as well, a little bit more subversively, where you definitely think you're very well-rounded in the way that you see the whole situation and this is how it should be. And maybe subtly... There's, there's something happening that you need to pay attention to as well. I think one of the temptations that comes to life in a global pandemic, in any wilderness experience really, is to turn an idea into an ideology that it doesn't, and then thus it doesn't take long for it to evolve to become an idolatry. An idea that becomes an, idolo- an ideology and then it doesn't take long for it to evolve to become some sort of idolatry. Where does my help come from? And then we answer, health and safety. Or we answer, the economy. Or we answer, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Or we say, Auntie Jacinda, I don't even want to think about it. Just tell me on a Monday what I have to do. 
we, 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 we wouldn't overtly do that. We won't post this afternoon. Where does my help from, come from? My help comes from the economy and livelihood. Praise Jesus. We won't write that. We'll go, no, my help comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah. But on the inside, something else is kind of bubbling away. Disruption, intrusion, dilemma, wilderness experience. They expose, they bring to the surface that which we're really entrusting our lives to. That which we treasure above all else. They bring to the surface that which we're really entrusting our lives to. It's only in the wilderness or the desert that you really get to be a Christian. You don't really get to put your faith and trust in Jesus where where, where all of those things are balanced just how you like them to be. It's like, well, life's rosy and good and I look forward to going to work tomorrow and it's fantastic. And house prices are fantastic at the moment or whatever it might be. It's when you're in the desert or the wilderness or the storm that suddenly, hang on, what am I trusting? What am I? It only gets tested in those moments. Funny thing is, the kingdom of God's equally disruptive. Up on the next slide. The kingdom of God disrupts those ideas as ideologies and will not let them become idolatries. The kingdom of God doesn't allow for an unchecked allegiance to anything but Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fierce drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings Cease. You think a global pandemic disrupts health and safety and the economy and freedom and uh, autonomy and libertarianism and legislative solutions and support or welfare or whatever you want to call that. You think a global pandemic disrupts that. Well, the kingdom of God disrupts that as well. If we're going to pay attention to what the kingdom of God is, it doesn't let you camp at any one of those things as an ideology or idolatry as an ideology or a form of idolatry. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Say we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Hallelujah. Health and safety. Here in Hebrews chapter 13. It's true. And if you go to the Old Testament, they had to build little fences on the roof of their house so people wouldn't fall off. That was health and safety. That's the original health and safety. But if you jump to 2 Corinthians 11, we've got Paul. I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death. Five times, 40 lashes. Five times, 40 lashes mean at five different occasions in his life, somebody whipped him 40 times. That's less than ideal. It's more than ideal. Is it more than ideal or less than ideal? I don't know. That's a lot of lashes five different times. Pelted with stones, shipwrecked, danger from everything. And he, and he talks about all the things he said, danger from storms and robbers and the church and the whole lot kind of thing. Being hungry and thirsty and cold and naked. Oh, well, that's not so much health and safety. That sounds dangerous and scary. And can we please not have that happen? The heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, the first half are awesome. They did this and this and this. And then the other half, they were sawn in two and pulled apart by horses and trampled on and thrown to the lions and had to face the gladiators. Like, no, no one, no one like, makes them their favorite verses and sticks them on the back, of the back of the toilet just to meditate on every night and day. But when you unpack it, it's like, oh, it doesn't, health and safety, yes, but no at the same time. That's health and safety out the window. 
Or at least the obvious reality that we shouldn't worship health and safety. Christians for years have been those that run to the middle of the pandemic, not away from the pandemic. Oh. It's, actually, it's actually Halloween, all saints, all souls. We should be talking about, but we're having a pandemic, we should be talking about one of the saints and looking at a biography of their life as an inspiration to how we should live our own or considering loved ones that have been role models. That's what Halloween and all saints and all souls is. It's a chance to face death and darkness and realize that death is not the enemy and can be overcome. We, do, we take the mask off the monsters and realize that God triumphs overall. We should be doing that, but we're in a global pandemic, so we're not. But we could be looking at those saints that ran to the pandemics rather than away from them and be stirred and challenged for what it is for us to have. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Remember the Lord your God, for it is God who gives you the power to create wealth. Oh, hallelujah. Some focus on the economy. That's outstanding. It is. It is. It's good. It's there. Matthew 6, 24. You can't serve God and money. You'll end up hating one and loving the other, devoted to one and despising the other. Oh, it's a kingdom of God thing. It's disruptive and disorientating. Proverbs 11, he who trusts in riches will fail, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Think of the rich rung, rung ruler. What more must I've done everything. What more must I do to be your disciple and inherit the kingdom of heaven? Ah, take all you've got, sell it and give it to the poor. And the rich rung ruler went away really sad and upset about that because he had lots and he didn't want to do that. It's like, oh. Well, there's the, there's the economy out the window. Or at least there's the idea that somehow we should worship that or give all allegiance to that. That's kind of out the window. Romans 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, who, consequently whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against the God who has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment of themselves. Ah, oh, Hallelujah. There's a bit of focus on civil obedience and towing the party line and just... Keep your, keep your head in kind of thing. Just do what's instructed. And yet at the same time, then we have Jesus saying, well, give to Caesar what Caesar's, what reflects his image, which is pay your taxes, but give to God what reflects his image, which is you as an Im- image bearer in the totality of every aspect of your life. Like, oh, how do we navigate that kind of thing? Total fidelity only to God as Lord and all. Galatians 5 verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You could post that on Facebook this afternoon and you'll get a few reactions. Because they won't exactly know what you're talking about. But hallelujah, there's some focus on autonomy and libertarianism. Praise the Lord for that finally. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Oh, this again, whether to the emperor or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You can apply that in this situation however you want to. I won't make any commentary on that. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Hang on! Slaves! Freedom and libertarianism and yes, and now you use your freedom to become a slave of God and following God and his lead. Uh. John 15, greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no way to interpret that other than how it sounds at face value. Uh, It may not necessarily be death. But there's no greater love than to give up 
autonomy and libertarianism and freedom for the sake of another. Uh, you can, I mean, you can wrestle with it and what that means or doesn't mean, and you can try and fight, figure that out. But as it reads, is how it should be read. It's not lost on me the complexity of the situation. Please don't. It's not lost on me the complexity of the situation or the need at different times in history to camp out in one of those things for, for godly and righteous reasons. But when you realize in human history, Christian folk have given up their lives for each of those different things. It just again highlights, you know, given up those things in a way of following God to establish what we would call freedom for humanity and these kinds of things. You realize it's really complicated if at different times each of those things has, has been a thing. So the complexity is not lost on me. And there are situations and scenarios where we need to push in different directions in one shape or form. What I'm wanting to highlight, though, is that the Bible champions each of them while simultaneously self-critiquing them as well. Champions these things while critiquing them at the same time. Won't let any of them ride away off into the sunset as the ideology that will save the world. Critiques all of those things and says, no, 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 salvation is found in Christ alone. Each has their place, but none will bring the salvation that we long for. Salvation is not found in autonomy. Salvation is not found in health and safety. Salvation is not found in legislation. Salvation is not found in the economy. Salvation is found in Christ alone. In the book of the Carrying On, in uh, Acts chapter 7. In the book of the prophets it is written, Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Moloch, the star of your god Rephan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Israel followed that which they supposed would bring a solution and bring salvation, but it only ended up with them being hauled off into slavery and captivity in Babylon. You could paraphrase it like this. Was it me you were following in the five years or the six years of the global pandemic? Because it's probably not going to be 18 months like we hoped. Was it me you were following in the five years or the six years of the pandemic? No, you followed your own ideologies as idolatries and sacrificed to them. But they did not lead to freedom. You are far away from me. That's what Stephen is highlighting in his sermon. And it doesn't go down super well. Um, he gets stoned at the end. But not in a 1960s kind of way. More in a like not ideal kind of a way. You could, you could paraphrase it like this for our context. Was it to me you were following in the five years, the six years of the pandemic? No, you followed your own ideologies as idolatries and sacrificed to them. But they did not lead you to freedom. You are far away from me. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown Moses. So they're off following XYZ, ABC. But the whole time they carried the tabernacle with them. They had in their, pre in their presence the means for faithful worship. The, 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 God had set it up. God would inhabit the tabernacle and the worship. They, they, they carried that with them the whole time. 
but followed after these false idols as a means of salvation, as a solution to the situation. All along the way, they had the means to be faithful worshippers. But they are described many times as a stiff-necked people. We're called not to be stiff-necked, but to faithful worship. So I do believe the church finds itself as a crossroad, at a crossroad. The title of my message was something along those lines. The church at a crossroad, a line in the sand, choose this day whom you'll serve for such a time as this, however you want. I don't really care what you want to call it. All of those things at once. And I was, when I posted it on Facebook, I was, I was like 10% being clickbaity. 10% maybe being a bit cute with play on words. 80% though, I, I do think the church finds itself at a crossroads in this situation. I just don't think it's the crossroads that if you turn on Facebook that, that people are saying the church is at. I think we're at a different crossroads, not, not that crossroads. I don't believe that that crossroad, the crossroad we find ourselves in is about drawing a line in the sand in regard to one of those values that in this moment should be championed above all the others. I don't believe that's the crossroad that the church finds itself in. Autonomy versus legislation. I don't believe that's the crossroad that we find ourselves in. Health and safety versus the economy and freedom. I don't believe that that's the crossroad that we find ourselves in. Uh, there's a lot of people championing that as the crossroad that the church is at at the moment and who are you going to follow and how are you going to go I just I'm not buying that though the crossroad in my opinion is in regard to who or what rules and reigns supreme in our lives the economy or Jesus autonomy or Jesus health and safety or Jesus legislation or Jesus that's the crossroad that we find ourselves in and I don't want us to get sidetracked by the noise that tells us that, that we're at some sort of different crossroad, because I, I just don't believe that we're in that space. When it comes to choose this day who you will serve, it's a false choice to suppose that it might be a choice between one of those various values. That, that's a false choice. That's not the choice that is being asked of you at this moment. The choice is Christ alone. The cornerstone, the solid ground, firm through the fierce drought and storm. Firm through the fierce drought and storm. Who were the ones that inherited the promised land? Just Caleb and Joshua, who stayed faithful the whole time. The others all ended up passing away before they inherited the promised land. It's the call to faithfulness in this season, in this moment. The choices for Christ alone in the service to no ideology as an idol and yet open in Christ to the possibility of all. For these can be the fruits of salvation, but they are not the source of salvation. These can be the fruits, but they cannot be the source. The choice of the crossroad is really for maturity and growth as a Christian to be Christian in this moment. To fix our eyes on Jesus in this moment. To trust in the Lord in this moment. To lean not on our own understanding in one sense, but in all our ways to acknowledge God. Trust that God will make our path straight. We weren't having to do that three years ago, like not in the same way. Like as each of us face our own desert experiences and wilderness experiences and heartaches and losses and pain in life, we, we all face those kind of seasons at different moments. And each of us are called in that moment to, to fix our eyes on Jesus and to trust God. This is kind of like now we hit 2020 and 21. It's like, man, 
collectively, the church is being called to fix their eyes on Jesus. When all is as we like it to be, a nice balance of autonomy and health and safety and economy and governments, we're happy days. But when the storm comes, it exposes that which we are ultimately trusting in. And I've seen it nudge away at me in the last two years, different things that I've been trusting or entrusting in my life. Oh man, no, I, whoa, what am I doing? I got, my, my eyes got to be set on Jesus in this moment. Alrighty. Traffic lights. I do need to make a little comment on traffic lights um, because it ties into crossroads. So I thought we'd go from crossroads to traffic. Do you see the segue there? It was beautiful. Alright, traffic lights. I've had people asking me, what's St. Luke's going to do with the traffic light system, etc., etc.? We find ourselves. um, What's the time? Alright. Whether to make long commentary or short commentary. Uh, we find ourselves in a situation where it's pretty easy for us to navigate that because we have two services. So the, the long and the short of it, well, we met as trustees earlier in the week, we had a chat about it, and we'll, get, we'll make our 9 o'clock gathering a vaccine certificate gathering, uh, which means if you want to come to the 9, you need to, whatever they are going to do, swipe in, sign in, I don't know what it'll be, an alarm. <laughs> it's like, they won't, we won't have that. Nathan, we won't have that, we won't have the alarm. Whatever it is, our 9 o'clock will be a vaccine certificate gathering and we'll be allowed to have up to 250 people at that and that's cool. That, that's more or less the normal, our normal Sunday rhythm when we're not in COVID kind of thing. Uh, and we'll keep our 11 o'clock gathering as a non-vaccine certificate gathering where you don't have to sign in one way or the other. Um, you can just come because we, we don't normally, every now and then we have over 100 at that, we'll just monitor that, but we, we don't normally have over 100 at our 11 so it doesn't need to be a vaccine sign-in service um, for People in our community that aren't vaccinated, they'll still be able to come and gather and have communion with one another. Um, and that's pretty much it. It's about as simple as that. There's not really much more to it. Uh, from a pastoral perspective, though, um, there are some people who may have um, some, their own health challenges. And there are some people that may have kids that have got um, health challenges or whatever that may feel less inclined to be around unvaccinated people. I understand that, uh, but I think we need to be loving and careful with that. And if that's the case for you, come along to the nine o'clock, that's fine kind of thing. But for the majority of people who are those that are vaccinated and not facing particular health situations, unvaccinated people shouldn't be ostracized or pushed to the margins. Just come along to the 11 kind of thing. We we love one another. We'll be present to one another. We'll gather around the table, irrespective of vaccine status. That's not what we're measuring. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to those that have genuine health challenges that want to be a little bit more careful. You knock yourself out. Just be careful, be loving, be kind in regards to that. But then for the majority of us who don't have a particular health challenge, like, hey, come along at the 11 as well. Let's be present to one another. Let's not ostracize or alienate people or those kinds of things. Um, so, you know, that's, I think we need to be, be loving and gentle and kind with, within that. Um, the only other commentary I want to make is there's some noise about this is going to upset churches all around New Zealand. This is an outrage. This is a persecution. Well, 90% of churches in the world are under 100. So those churches won't be affected kind of thing. 
Uh, for any church in New Zealand that's 200 or less, okay, probably they're going to have to go to two gatherings. I mean, we do that and maybe there's churches. If you only have like 120 as average attendance on your Sunday, that could be a bit challenging to make that jump to go to two services and have to repeat it all kind of thing. But basically churches that are up to 200 will just um, go to two services and neither of them will need to be a vaccine certificated service. So nobody need be alienated or ostracized or pushed to the side. And then as they grow, one of them could become a vaccine service and one of them could be a not vaccine certificate service kind of thing. For most churches that are like 100 to 500, they've got the resource and the capability and the strength and the manpower to, to um, have multiple services and they can just make one of their services a, a service where you don't need to have a vaccine certificate. It'd be unusual for a church to have like more than 20% perhaps you know, not vaccinated or something like that or even if it, maybe it's only up to 400 and 25% it's like well you'll be able to have a You'll be able to have a hundred at that gathering. So the noise that the churches have been in trouble, and this is going to be impossible for churches all around New Zealand, and you know, this is the end times and the market. I've talked all about that. It's not. It's, it's all right. Uh, it's going to be really hard for the genuine churches that are 2,000, the genuine mega churches that are like 2,000 or above, especially if they are pastored by a team that has been noisy about not liking vaccination. Um, well, if you're in a church of 2,000, if you've got a church with 8,000 people in it and you've been talking like that and you do have 2,000 people that are not vaccinated, that's going to be tricky. That's 20 extra services. Um, I wish you all the best in that endeavour. Um, so don't get me wrong, that's going to be challenging and that's going to be disruptive and that's going to be disorientating. But don't let the commentary of a couple of people that may or may not be in that scenario speak on behalf of the Church of New Zealand because for most churches in New Zealand, it's a slight inconvenience. There's some administrative challenges and we're going to have... It's, it's, it's easy for us as it's going to be for anyone. We already have two services. One of them's under 100. Done. We're sweet. Uh, for other churches, they'll have to step into what is kind of normal for us and that'll be a little bit of a challenge, maybe an inconvenience. You know, maybe you've finally grown the church from like eight people to 120 and it feels like there's some atmosphere on a Sunday. This is cool. And then that gets squashed to 55, you know, each service. Like, oh man, we're back to where we were three years ago. Yeah, I get that. So there's some inconvenience there. But don't let the commentary in regards to the mega church sound like that is the perspective or the situation that's happening for churches all around New Zealand. It's just not true. It's a bit of a distortion. Um, it, is ve- it will be disruptive for those churches, but they may be 5% of churches. They're not 95% of churches. Which reminds us that, oh yeah, churches aren't being targeted. Large gatherings are being targeted. They, they're targeting concerts and gatherings with thousands of people. Okay, yep. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's without controversy. I'm not saying that different people will have different opinions on it, of course, but that's more or less where we find ourselves in. And I think it's relatively straightforward for us to carry on loving one another, being present to one another, being kind and gracious to one another. The challenge is not how do we gather. The challenge is to keep Christ the center, to lay all of those things at the foot of the cross and to carry on loving Jesus and loving people. Um, We'll ha- we will follow along as some things change. It does look like probably I'll, if you're a volunteer, you'd need to be vaccinated, I would, I would assume. Well, I'm not assuming. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty 95% sure that'll be true. Because uh, if it's a vaccine-certificated gathering, then the staff that are running the gathering need to be vaccinated. So the assumption is that, of course, the volunteers that are running that gathering would need to be vaccinated as well. 
Um, if you're not a vaccinated person, but you serve on a roster, just come and talk to me and we'll happily kind of like, you, you can just be off the roster for a little bit. It's like, and we'll just track it how it goes kind of thing. Uh, but I, I don't think we need to make a big deal out of that one or the other. So I think we'll probably have to pay attention to that. Um, we will track some things as well. While we're in green, we're in green, and that's awesome. There's some COVID out there, but it's not going everywhere, so that's fine. Uh, when we go to orange, our 11 o'clock service would be capped at 50, and so that's the case. And maybe at the 11 o'clock service, if we're at orange, we'd ask people to wear masks to the 11 o'clock service as a health and safety kind of thing. And then if we go to red, we won't run a vaccine-free service anymore. We'll run two gatherings that you need to have a vaccine certificate because you're only allowed 10 people at that anyway so we just flip back to running a, a, a um, vaccine certificated services both of them that can have up to 100 people at each so that makes any sense so the nine o'clock one at green just carries on sign in that you're vaccinated at orange carries on sign in that you're vaccinated at red would be restricted down to um, 100 the 11 o'clock in green, well, we're up to, allowed up to 100 people and you don't have to sign in with a vaccine card. At orange, we'd be allowed up to 50 and we'd probably ask people just to wear masks to be conscious that COVID is out in the community. At red, we'd cancel running a non-vaccine certificate service and just go back to the 200 services. That makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, that's all right. I'll, end up, I'll do another from the pastor's desk letter and try to explain that as well as I can. If we just go... Oh, there you go. That's the slide there. I think the thing to remember is that these things are good and important, but we want to lay them at the feet of the cross. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, work out what it is to love God in the moment, to love our neighbor, to lay down our lives. It's going to mean different things to different people. If, you camp, if you're camped out at one of those things particularly, that's fine. It'll look different for whatever one you're camped out at for what it means to lay down your life. But irrespective, we're called to lay down our life and to be considerate and compassionate to others. All right, let's stand to our feet and we'll... Wrap that up this morning. That's way more than enough.